The following message is from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. About this time in the last service, we were about to receive the offering. We had a medical issue among one of our good brothers as a part of our church. He's a senior adult, a man of God, walks with the Lord. If there ever was a man of prayer, Joseph is a man of prayer. Um, a man of uh, uh, after the heart of God. He's the kind of guy that if he comes to you and says, Pastor, I've been praying, you lean your ear closer to what he's about to say. He's one of those kind of men. And uh, God has uh, is, is, is used him in a great way. And uh, he had a medical complication today. And uh, we prayed for him. And I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for Joseph. I got word that he is, he is stable and doing better is the word that I received. I tell you that to let you know that Throughout this entire week, we have fought spiritually. I've fought physically. I'm dealing with a sore throat this morning. and There are things that we have fought we normally don't fight heading into a service. Now, you may say some of those things are just coincidental, and some of them might be, but I am certain in my heart that God has something he wants to say today. I am certain in my heart today the enemy would much rather you not pay attention to it or hear it or be able to respond to it. And so I know some of the things that are going on that we have been battling since the middle of the week and even some of the things that we battled today trying to get this word out has been spiritual warfare. I believe that with all of my heart. But I also know as happened in the first service and I believe will happen in this service, God is going to take, as he always does, what is meant for evil and he's going to use it for good. And so I want you to uh, open your hearts. I want you to receive what God has for us today. I may have made a mistake earlier in the week when I put all over social media that I had a clear, definitive word from the Lord. Now, don't make—I don't want you to make any mistake about it. I truly believe, with all of my heart, I have heard what the heart of God is for this service today, but my mistake probably lies in the fact that I told you. Because when I say things like that, it builds up a certain kind of expectation. Not that expectation is bad. I would love for you to come to church every Sunday with a great deal of expectation, but I just don't want you to come with the wrong set of expectations today and be disappointed. When a preacher says that He or she feels they've heard from God. It's not an insinuation that we don't hear from God every other Sunday. It just means that there is something extra special, something very unique, maybe even heavy and burdensome about this one. People knew that I had this thing in my heart and had for weeks because I told you last week, I, I put it on social media and as I came in today, people asked me, Pastor, are you excited I said, I don't know if excited is the word, I'm burdened. And when I, when I have that sense, that this, this expectation that, that this word is uh, from the Lord and it's unique and it, it's, 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 it's an extra special word for right now, it's unique, it's even heavy and burdensome. And when you sense that, when you sense the uniqueness and the heaviness about what is about to be said, there's a certain expectation that comes upon you in regard to the sermon. You know, you're, you're expecting a spectacular sermon with a powerful delivery and some very deep, profound revelation from God's Word. And I'm not sure that what I have to share with you today is going to meet all those expectations. So I'm asking you to not get caught up in judging what the Lord has to say today 
by the eloquence of my delivery, the tone of my voice, or the length of my sermon. It will be direct, clear, and concise. And I believe it's a word from God that demands a response from us. The difference that today will make in your life will not depend on my ability to preach it well. It will depend very much on your willingness to respond to what the Lord is saying. As a matter of fact, the Lord warned me, and I've been carrying this in my heart for three weeks, but specifically this week as I tried to, 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 to couch it and prepare it and, and get it to where it was clear to you, I really felt like he warned me, do not over-prepare. Because the danger is that in my preparation, I would try to add to it. I would try to make it sound more profound than it really is. I would try to dress it up to meet your sermonic expectations or my sermonic expectations. But it really is very simple. So I haven't over-prepared. You're getting it today in the very raw and rudimentary way that God placed it on my heart. To be honest, at first I didn't think that what I was hearing from God was supposed to be shared with anybody. It came to me personally during a private time of prayer as a loving rebuke from my Heavenly Father. To me, just to me. And so the images and the illustrations that he used in communicating this word to me were crude, they were simple in ways that I can understand them. And the more that I processed this word, the more it worked on me, the more it worked on me, the stronger I felt the burden grew to share it. It became heavy and emotional. And I realized that it wasn't just for me. It was for us. But before I could share it with you, he had to deal with me. This is what He said to me, I believe this is what he's saying to us. His heart is grieved. The heart of the father is grieved. Not mad, not angry, just heartbroken. He misses you. He misses your spiritual passion, your wholehearted devotion. He wants you back. The problem is, you're not really aware that you've even drifted. It's been so slow, so subtle. The compromises have been so small over an extended period of time that they're almost unnoticeable in that moment. And when you compare yourself to the sins of other people, you're so spiritually ahead of the rest of them, the danger is that you will miss this word. You will assume that it's for somebody else. And as you process what God is saying even now, today, your mind is already identifying people that you wish were hearing this, that this word applies to, and he's saying to you in this moment, stop, because he's talking to you. This is not a message today for reprobates, pagans, and blasphemers. It's the cry of the father to his children Children who may be moral, religious, churchgoers, but children whose spiritual affection has waned, whose spiritual passion has grown cold. His children who have become satisfied, complacent, comfortable, 
and self-absorbed. And I believe with the description of our condition, he also leaves us with a warning. And I know this is going to be a crude illustration, but this is the way it came to me. And this is the only way I know how to share it. I grew up in a very rural part of the United States, predominantly poor, farmers. Uh, the place that I grew up, the people are earthy, and I just, they're simple, um, uh, they're the salt of the earth kind of people. And so I spent a lot of time hanging around with farmers, family that are farmers. And in our community, there is a legend of a koi dog, koi dog packs, a koi dog type of species. Koi dogs are the supposed crossbreeding between domesticated dogs and wild coyotes, hence the name koi dog. And some people say they don't really exist because naturally it's very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult for a wild coyote to breed with a domesticated dog because their breeding seasons are at different times of year and they don't, they don't, they don't line up and, and the, 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 the natural draw and inclination of those two is not there, but it is possible for them to genetically reproduce. And so uh, there has been this legend that they exist and yet some people say they don't. And so one day, knowing what the legend is about the koi dog, um, I'm riding in a truck having a conversation with a farmer on a, on, a, on a dirt road going to check on some of his crops. And he slams on the brake. His truck turns sideways in the dirt road. He gets out and lays across the hood with his rifle and shoots what to me looks like somebody's dog, a pet. And I stopped when he got, I said, what are you doing? I mean, that could have been somebody's dog. He said, no, that's not somebody's dog. That's a wild dog. It's a koi dog. We have a pack that started to proliferate around here, and they've been harassing our livestock, killing our livestock, and, and they've actually recently threatened the lives of some of our small children walking home from the bus. I said, so they really exist? He said, it's rare, but they do, and we have some here. And he said, they're dangerous. And the, the danger in them is they have enough domestication in them from the dog side that they're not afraid of human beings. And they have enough wild in them from the coyote that they still have an instinct to kill. If they were one or the other, they would be okay. But because they are both, they are dangerous. In the same time that I had this conversation after this kind of you know, quick event that happened that kind of left me stunned what was going on there for a moment, I... I, I had another conversation with a farmer from that area uh, about this, and it was about this same time, so it very, could have been, very easily could have been the same pack of koi dogs. He was going to check his pump that pumps water out of the, the slack water, the bayou, and coming off the floodwaters off the river into his crops, and there's one like a 300-yard levee, small, narrow levee, one man can walk down on the way to his pump, and it pumps water to his crops. His truck is about 300 yards back this way, and he has walked one way in, one way out, cold water on this side, cold water on that side, nowhere to go, and he, he works on his pump, and when he turns around to leave, this pack of koi dogs has pinned him up against the pump, hair on the back of their head, they're stalking towards him, showing teeth, growling as they come to him. He has nothing in his hands but a shovel. In a split second, a survival mechanism kicks in, and he just starts swinging his shovel. And he swings his way all the way back to his truck and jumps inside his truck for safety. If they would have been one or the other, a coyote would have ran. A dog would have been more than likely friendly. 
but because they are both. They have enough domestication in them that they're not afraid of humans, enough wild in them that they still have an instinct to kill. I was walking early one morning and praying, and the Lord began to deal with me about this message. My heart is grieved. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I just miss you. I want you back. Where you been? You're moral. You're doing well. Just, where's the 16-year-old kid that fell in love with me 24 years ago? Where are you? It wasn't like, I'm mad. You didn't check all the lists. I'm angry. I'm going to judge you. It was like, come on, boy. Get back over here close to me where you belong. Scoot over. You drifted. You don't even know you drifted. Come, Come back. And was I, I was thinking about those things, having this conversation my, with God, my, my mind started flooding back with all of these memories. Oddly, I don't know why, where they came from, but these memories and these stories about the koi dog, and then all of a sudden, it became very apparent to me that God was bringing these memories back to my heart and to my mind as a picture of our spiritual condition. We're not one or the other. We got one foot in and we got one foot out. We know enough to know we want God and we need God, but we still have a foot over here in the old life and in the world and the small compromises. We're not all the way in. We're not all the way out. We got a foot straddling the fence because we want a little bit of both. And there are some dangers in the natural world with a koi dog. And there is some dangers in our lives. Our greatest danger is being a little bit of both, not one or the other. And my mind was... Reminded of what is written in James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Believe it or not, the scripture addresses this koi dog dilemma as a, as a, a, a reflective image of, of a human condition. Because there, yeah, in the scripture, it, there's no reference to a koi dog, obviously. But the spiritual condition, in the scripture, even Jesus. Jesus calls people that are in that condition Laodiceans. It's been known throughout history as the Laodicean spirit or walking as a Laodicean. How do I know? Well, in the book of Revelation, when, when there are the seven letters that are being written uh, to the church and, uh, churches, Jesus gives different revelation and there are seven churches and makes up, his message to those churches makes up the earlier parts of the book of Revelation. And when he gets to one of those churches in Revelation 3, it is the Laodicean church. And listen to how he describes the Laodicean church. Listen as we read through this what he says the Laodicean church to turn from their way how he says to change. Revelation 3, 14, this is what Jesus said to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. You are neither domesticated or wild, spiritually apathetic or spiritually passionate. I wish, I were, wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Here's a a group of people 
They're church people. They are his people. They, they are Christ followers. And yet they are so busy in the process of doing the religious work. They are affluent. They have their needs met. There is little to no dependency on God because all of their needs are met. And because there is no dependency, there is no desperation for his presence. There is no need to pursue after him because they have everything they could possibly need. And because they have all of their needs met, they are comfortable, complacent, and satisfied. Uh, they, they, they are blinded to the, the dangers of their spiritual condition. They are good people. They are moral people. They are church-going people, they are charitable and generous people, and yet because there is enough good in them and their spiritual passion has waned and they don't even know it, they are blinded to their spiritual condition. The marks of a Laodicean, the marks of a coy dog Christian are indifference. Indifference. You know, I, I love the gospel I'm not offended when it's mutilated. I, I, uh, I have these convictions, but you know I don't want to create a stir and stand up for them. I, I, I you know, I, there's an indifference here. It's a uh, uh, there's there's not a whole lot of passion and energy and commitment to a cause. There's a spiritual carelessness when it comes to making choices. The, the lines easily become gray. It's more convenient for, for them to become gray. There is a complacency and a satisfaction and a self-focus. But, but the, the worst of all the conditions is the blindedness of the Laodicean to their own spiritual condition. It's easy to assume that the word that Jesus was given, a word like he is giving to us today, it's easy for us to say, I've checked all the boxes, I, I have a position of leadership in the church, I, I pay my tithe, I go through the routines, I'm comparatively speaking, I'm so much better than them, and it's easy for us to say, he has to be talking to somebody else because I've checked all the boxes, but he's not. He's talking to us, pastors and elders and position holders and influencers. He goes on and he talks to the Laodiceans and he gives them a solution, a solution to the dilemma, to their spiritual condition, to their lukewarmness. Now think about that for a moment. That is a very visible image, lukewarmness. I mean, cold water is refreshing on a hot day. Hot water makes hot chocolate and coffee and the things that we can use to do so many wonderful things with. And yet, but, but there are certain times in your life, if you go for a refreshing drink of cold water and you get lukewarm water or you go to the antiseptic that is in the germ-killing part of, of what's in hot water and, 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 and you find lukewarm water, lukewarm water can be nauseating. And it's that reference that he's referring to that it would be better off if you were entirely indifferent. I mean, if you were entirely just complete, outright, not in at all. Because somebody that's way over here can be convinced of their need for repentance. But somebody that has a foot here and a foot here are blinded to their own spiritual nakedness. And they don't hear the voice. And they don't sense the nudging calling us back. Revelation 3.18, he begins to speak to the solution to the problem of being in the Laodicean spirit. Or He said in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. 
and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Why would he tell them to buy gold from him? Because they've been pursuing gold of this other, another kind. They, they, have, they have found temporary fulfillment in the, the material things of this world and the pursuits of their own life. And what he's trying to tell them is, you don't realize this, but what the gold that you've invested your life in, the material things of this world that you've invested your life in, careers and titles and degrees and pursuits of success and all of those things, those bring you temporary fulfillment, but they cannot bear the weight of the human soul. They are going to crash. They are going to leave you empty. He's saying, why don't you change your pursuit from those things and begin, buy gold from me, pursue what I have to offer, pursue the things that are going to last for eternity, pursue the things that can bear the full weight of your soul, that can bear you in the good times and in the bad times and in the brokenness and in the rejoicing. Bear the, take what I have to offer, not what you've been building your life on, then you will become rich. And when you change the item of your pursuit, only then will salve be applied to your eyes and you be able to see how far you have truly drifted. I want you to listen carefully to this next verse because I believe this is what he's telling us to do today. Verse 19 of Revelation 3. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. That's what he's telling us to do today. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Listen, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. The King James says in one place, he chastens the ones he loves. My grandfather used to tell me all the time, son, if God hasn't taken you to the woodshed lately, I question the sincerity of your relationship because he chastens the ones he loves. He desires us to be made into his image and in a loving way, he rebukes. In a loving way, he disciplines. In a loving way, he begins to meddle in our lives and bring us to moments like this so that he can regain our attention and regain our passion. And in light of that, he says, so be earnest and repent. Repentance is a, is a turn. It's a That's what to repent means is to turn. It's 180 degree about face. It's to say, okay, God, I'm back. I hear you. I'm aware that my heart has drifted, that my spiritual passions have grown cold. I'm making compromises I, I wouldn't have used to have made. There was a day when it was closer and prayer was real and the word was real and I, I got in it, but my soul has drifted. But I return. I repent. I turn around, God, I'm, I'm back. He's not angry. He's grieved. He misses you. If you return your heart to him, verse 19 says, he's standing ready. Not as an a, a, a angry father who's ready to discipline a child for making a mistake. He says, I want us to... 
I'll open the door. Let me in. I'll, I'll sit down. We'll eat together. They with me with them and them with me. We're going we're gonna to have relations. It's going to be like it used to be. Turn your heart back towards him. Let him rekindle your spiritual passion. On a July morning, 140 years ago, Charles Spurgeon had to be feeling what I, over his congregation, what I have felt over this one for the last three weeks. On July 26th, 1874, he preached about the Laodicean spirit that was prevalent at Metropolitan Tabernacle in London where he was pastor. And this is what he says about the Laodiceans. They were not cold, but they were not hot. They were not infidels, yet they were not earnest believers. They did not oppose the gospel, neither did they defend it. They were not working mischief, neither were they doing any great good. They were not disreputable in moral character, but they were not distinguished for holiness. They were not irreligious, but they were not enthusiastic in piety, nor eminent for zeal. They were what the world calls moderates. They were of the broad school church. They were neither bigots nor Puritans. They were prudent and avoided fanaticism, respectable and adverse to excitement. Good things were maintained among them, but they did not make too much of them. Such churches have schools, Bible classes, preaching rooms, and all sorts of agencies, but they might as well be without them, for no energy is displayed and no good comes of them. They have deacons and elders who are excellent pillars of the church if the chief quality of pillar is to stand still and exhibit no motion or emotion. They have ministers who may be the angels of the churches, but if so, they have their wings closely clipped, for they do not fly very far in preaching the everlasting gospel, and they certainly are not flames of fire. They may be shining lights of eloquence, but they certainly are not burning lights of grace, setting men's hearts on fire. In such communities, everything is done in a half-hearted, listless, dead and alive way, as if it did not matter much whether it was done or not. The right things are done, but as to doing them with all your might and soul and strength, a Laodicean church has no notion of what that means. They are not so cold as to abandon their work or to give up their meetings for prayer or to reject the gospel. If they did so, then they could be convinced of their error and brought to repentance. But on the other hand, they are neither hot for the truth nor hot for conversions, nor hot for holiness. They are not fiery enough to burn the stubble of sin, nor zealous enough to make Satan angry, nor fervent enough to make a living sacrifice of themselves upon the altar of their God. They are not cold nor hot. When churches get into the condition of half-hearted faith, tolerating the gospel, but having a sweet tooth for error, They do far more mischief to their age than downright heretics. This wasn't a book he wrote, a sermon he preached, and those are excerpts from the sermon from July 26th, 1874. I think Spurgeon was feeling that day what I've been feeling the last three weeks. Something profound came to me in reading Revelation chapter 3.20. You know, he said, he said in verse 19 that 
He loves us and he's going to rebuke us and chasten us and, and discipline us. And he said, because of that, in earnestness, repent. Because you know that I love you and I care about you enough that I'm not going to just let your wandering heart keep going. I'm going to pursue you until I get your attention because of that. And because my motivation is I just want to be with you. I just, I just want to reconnect with you. I miss you because of that. Repent. Return. And then he said in verse number 20, I stand at the door and knock. I'm like, wait a minute. These are your people. This is your church. Why are you having to knock at a door to get into your own house? Why are you having to knock at a door to get into the hearts of your own people? If Jesus is having to knock to get our attention, to get back into our life, then something or some things in life have pushed him to the side. And all he's asking today is, will you you just let me back in? That's it. I just, I just, just want back in. These things, the maybe even good things. Some of them are bad things. Some of them are sins. Some of them are ministries. But these things have shoved me to the side. I'm not. I'm not mad. I just miss you. Will you let me back in? This was the word he gave me. His heart is grieved. Not mad, not angry, just broken. He misses you. He misses your spiritual passion, your wholehearted devotion. He wants you back. And I guess today, I, I, in some similar way, I'm, I'm standing as a mediator between you and him. Because it's been happening to me. This was a word to me before it was a word to you. Repentance happened to me before I preached repentance to you. He had to grab my drifting heart before he ever talked to you about your drifting heart. And so as a fellow pilgrim, a man with feet made of clay, in the same position that you are in, he wants us back. And I guess today as a mediator between you and him, I believe in some ways I'm having a, a similar conversation with you that Elijah had on Mount Carmel when he looked at God's people and he, he asked this question, how long will you waver between two opinions? 1 Kings eighteen twenty one. How long will you waver between two opinions? Tuesday of this week, it'll be my 24th spiritual birthday. I turned 24 in Christ on November the 18th. And I think where this has been the last three weeks, he said to me, I'm, man, I'm really glad you love me, Brian. To study to show yourself approved. I'm, I'm glad you got that bachelor's degree. I'm glad you got a master's degree in theology. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you honored your family and you disciplined your mind and your heart to finish your doctorate. I'm so glad of that. But if I had my choice, I want that 16-year-old kid who came to the altar 
broken, nowhere to go but up, drunk, alcoholic, teenage kid who just laid it all out there. No, no image to protect, no ministry to maintain, no status to worry about, just here I am, God, you can have all of me. It's a dangerous place to have small compromises, not even know it. And I think what he's saying is, I'm not mad. I just miss you. This is not my grandfather's hellfire message trying to get you to question your salvation. This is a message of rebuke from a loving father in heaven to all of us that says, there's more to this. There's more to me. This one foot in and one foot out is not the way it was intended to be. I, I really have more I want to offer you. And there was a time when you knew it. I just want you back. And to repent means that you're going one way and you hear his voice and you stop and you turn around and you say, okay, God, I'm back. Not half of me, not 60% of me, not 75% of me. All of me. My grandfather used to sing a song in the altar services of his church a lot. And they would sing, and the song is a question. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? I want it to be. I hear his voice talking to me. In earnest, repent. I believe there's some of you in this room that hear what I hear. Today, I've not asked the prayer team to come. I told them in advance I didn't want them to come because they may need to respond. So it's not going to be like it is in every other service. This is a very open, roomy altar area. And I believe the message of God demands a response today. Moving from where I am in my satisfaction, in my spiritual complacency, in my self-absorption, in my indifference, to opening the door to the Lord and letting him come back into my life because I miss him like he misses me. I believe it demands a response to say, forgive me, Father. My heart is drifted, but I'm coming back. I don't care whether you're a position holder, a pastor, an elder, it doesn't matter to me. You could be a guest at this service today and God sovereignly ordained for you to hear this message because your spiritual heart is wondered. You could, you could be in this room today and have never had a relationship with Jesus. Forget a wondering heart. But he's drawing on you to enter a relationship with him. When we stand to our feet in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. You can stand you can kneel, but I'm going to invite you to join me here in an act of repentance to say, God, I hear you. I'm coming back. I hear your voice. I hear your word. Let me tell you what I didn't do this morning. 
I didn't, I didn't overprepare. There was everything within me that was emotional today, and I could have cried, I could have preached, I could have yelled, and I really felt, I really felt to everything within me to temper my emotion today in delivering this word so that the word would stand on its own. And you make a decision not because I was eloquent or I was passionate or was or wasn't, but it was just a clear, direct word from God for you. And then let you make up your mind what you want to do. So Lord, people are about to make decisions. I don't know if it's one or two hundred. I'm glad I was one. I am one. And I believe there are others today. And would you let a shift not only happen in our individual hearts, but would you let something shift in the heart of North Place Church? You miss us. And I want you to know as the pastor, we're coming back. We're coming home. And today we give you our hearts, fresh and new. We're not satisfied with surroundings and new addresses and finer equipment, Lord. No, no, none of that matters to us. You are what matters to us. And today, we're coming back to what matters most. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet, if you will. And if God's calling you to repentance today, if this word is for you, would you come, would you step out? Come on, he's calling your heart back to him. I don't care whether you're deacon, staff member, it doesn't matter to me. If God's speaking to your heart, I want you to respond today. Get as close as you can. Kneel, stand, whatever is comfortable for you, and give him your heart. Just, just like I did. I'm going to give him my heart like I did 24 years ago Tuesday. Give him your heart like it's the first time. You have me, Lord. All of me. Not part of me. All of me. Come on, this is a moment of surrender. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com.